Hello, horror fam, best friends, and ghoulish knights, and welcome to the second episode of Murders with Mertens. I am your host, Joe, and this is a podcast about horror, psychological horror, monster movies, body horror, the horror-adjacent thrillers, the supernatural, scary films in general. Each episode, I intend to sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films so that we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. So let's not waste any time in introducing tonight's guest, Mario Rivera. Mario, how the hell are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Uh, damn fine, actually. Damn fine is probably the best way to describe yes, it. Yes, that's super appropriate. Super appropriate. Uh, well, thank you for coming on tonight's episode. Uh, tonight's feature is 1992's Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, directed by David Lynch, written by David Lynch and Robert Engels. Uh, it's both a prequel and a sequel film to the Twin Peaks television series that sort of redefined episodic television in the early 90s. I mean, if we didn't have Twin Peaks, we wouldn't have the X-Files, no X-Files, then no Breaking Bad, and so on and so on. Mario, what's your history with Twin Peaks and uh, this film? Well, it uh, sort of was a light love. It wasn't something that I knew very early on in my life. Uh, it basically, within, I want to say, last five years, is somehow I just kept seeing it on my Netflix queue and wondering, what is that show? I uh, wasn't totally familiar with a ton of David Lynch films. Uh, and I decided, you know what? Let's try it. Let's just put it on. I've heard the title before, but I don't know what it is. And uh, I put it on and uh, I was transported into one of the most craziest shows I've ever seen. One of the most one of the lived in shows that I've ever seen. Uh, I was totally hooked and transfixed from episode one all the way through season two. And then I remember hearing not that actually, you know what? Now that I remember it was right almost before they were going to announce season three was when I started watching it. So that was sort of leading in to season three, which, yeah, uh, getting to that last episode and you hear that one phrase blows my mind because they actually did it. And it's so crazy that we're, you know, the season's totally out and there was a movie and all that, like all these wonderful things that I got to learn as a late fan that all these this history existed. Even, I didn't even know there were books. There were two Shockingly good timing books. with it all. Yeah. Yeah. So I just felt deep, deep within it, deep within the lore, deep within the characters. I mean, I even own Laura Palmer's diary. Like I, I have all these things. So I, I fell head over heels over this universe and uh, into David Lynch, uh, David Lynch films. Nice. Nice. Uh, I was a kid in the original release. I would have been <laughs> about nine or 10, something like that. So little, uh, too adult for me uh, at that time, I'm sure. Uh, I just, I remember it being on. I remember, you know, it being sort of a phenomenon and, you know, just people constantly talking about it. You know, the adults around me um, wasn't anything that my parents were into, but I just remember it being a thing. And mm -hmm. then it was an undergrad, uh, probably around, mm, probably around like 99, 2000, something like that, where all of a sudden, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Brian and I, we just fell into this hardcore. It was around the time that there was that initial DVD release of the first season mm -hmm. that didn't mm -hmm. include the pilot because of all these crazy yeah. rights issues. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it, we watched this thing without having seen the pilot and there's like the little recap in the beginning, but that's about it. And we're like, what the hell is this? This is just gold. Uh, I remember we both kind of like. David Lynch, you know, we weren't, 
you know, super, super familiar with all of his films at the time, but we'd seen our fair share and, oh, wow, it was time to go over to Hollywood Video and find a uh, dusty VHS of the pilot and then use what was probably, probably Kazaa back then to find, um, yeah, 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 some uh, lovely rips uh, with some kind of Scandinavian subtitles of the second season, because that was the only way that you were going to see the second season back then. And then going and running Firewalk With Me, uh, you know, what we're going to talk about here, Um, just just seeing such a large tonal shift with the film, like what the hell did we just watch? And then over time rewatching it all. And then, you know, over the years reading about the film on the internet and just seeing that it was an absolute flop when it originally came out, people were just not enamored with it because, you know, it wasn't the show. It wasn't what they all thought of when they thought of Twin Peaks, at least some folks. They thought of, you know, cherry pie and quirky characters and all the humorous bits, right? Which, yes. I mean, the film has funny bits here and there, but, oh, it is very much a psychological horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you take away the David Lynchiness of it, I mean, you just, you have a terrifying film about a teenager who's being abused by her father for, you know, six, seven years. It's some scary, dark shit. And, (laughs) you know, you get the fun David Lynch rapper and it just gets even weirder then. It's wonderful. Um, was very, very excited to hear about the revival, um, you know, the return or season three or whatever you want to call it. And just really surprised that they stuck with the darker tone, Mm -hmm. which was great. I mean, it's, it was a little obtuse. Yeah. Um, it wasn't exactly for every twin peaks fan, but wow, was it a fun ride? And I would just love them to do a little bit more. Um, not that I think we should really keep our hopes up for anything like that, but I don't know. What What do you think? Would you like to see just a little bit more? Part of me uh, wants it to just always exist in my mind and always be, you know, what I want it to be, my, what I want to remember it as. But at the same time, like, I can't help wanting to see more of Dale Cooper and see his adventures and, you know, where it leaves off. And I don't even know if you want to spoil it. It's a little crazy, but it's, you know, that's an interesting thing that they did. And I want to see what ramifications does that have for the future of Twin Peaks in that universe, if it's the same universe? Right. Uh, yeah. So, again, uh, all those things. And I, I personally, my personal thoughts on the whole season of season three was it definitely was a art of managing your expectations and patience. Because if you're able to do that, you got this euphoric buildup to something that was awesome uh, very at the end of the series, uh, as opposed to immediately being gratified of like, hey, this is everything that you wanted right away. It was really sort of like, here's a little spoon. Mm-hmm. The spoon will get bigger as the season goes on. And I, I as much as I was there week to week, like frustrated by finally getting it at the point in which you were given it, the, when you hear the music, then you know you're back. You're back in this world. And I thought that was, to me, the excellent surprise and exercise of season three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I agree. Still dark. 
Not a whole lot of Mark Frost in there, and a lot of that, uh, but Mark Frost, I believe, was a part of it. Not in this movie, sadly, um, which nope. is clear. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It's uh, very yeah. much all Lynch all the time, and you know what? Yeah. That's okay. Um, I, I, didn't it come out like right around the time of uh, Wild at Heart? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, that's a little bit more lighthearted. Still, you know, a little dark, but yeah, it's it's good times. I, I need to rewatch that film, actually. It's been quite some time, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you want your wacky road trip mixed with the Wizard of Oz, there you go. Good there stuff. Go. Uh, so, just to reiterate um, how this format typically goes, you know, we kind of use the plot as a guiding star for just going over all the fun shit that we absolutely love about the film. Uh, but we don't necessarily have to rehash the entire thing. Uh, just starting things off, you get that wonderful, wonderful Angelo Bettelamenti score with the nasty, nasty synths and saxophone. It's, I think this is one of his best scores, personally. I, I don't know. I enjoy the hell out of it. It's... Yeah, I mean, I I really like the way that it somberly starts because that is the mood of the film. It's not the Twin Peaks song right away. You know, you're not really back in that world until maybe I think it's like 20, 15 minutes, even 30 minutes, maybe like into the world. You finally get back to Twin Peaks. You're in this this other thing that is a statement on television in a lot of ways that a lot of people have brought up over the years because the next shot you see is just a bat or something hitting a television, you know, like that's the first thing you see. And now you're in David Lynch world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we get, uh, Teresa Banks, uh, untimely death. Um, mm-hmm. and just kind of floating down the river there. Then we shift to this drug bust slash human trafficking situation. I don't know what's going on. There's all these screaming uh, children, yeah. Um, obviously some of them were involved, but, uh, it's, uh, wow. That's very Lynch. Um, yeah, and, awesome. and obviously Lynch himself, uh, screaming into a random wall to a lady to, you know, to direct these people. So yeah, we are immediately back to, you know, call, uh, to, uh, oh my God, I forgot his name. I can't believe it. Uh, Chris Isaac. No, 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 no. no. Dale Lynch's character. Oh, uh, Gordon Cole. Gordon Cole. That was it. Was on the tip. I was gonna say yes. Colson. Phil Colson. I'm like, no, wrong person. That's okay oh, too. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gordon Cole and uh, get me Agent Chester Desmond. And I, I love that the cell phone is somehow tied into his car's horn. Yeah. Um, it's I, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, I remember the old bag phones. I remember, you know, the the crazy car mounts that people would have for a car phone that was dedicated to the car. But the fact that it's tied into the horn, just that feels like a little David Lynch type of thing, like <laughs> the kind of weekend project that he would put together in his workshop, you know, just mm-hmm. because along with making a little bench and staining it or something. I don't know uh, the shit that he seems to get up to on his YouTube channel. Right. Um, Yeah. 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 Uh, And yeah, I mean, you get your typical awesome Gordon Cole stuff, all the screaming and, you know, it's like he even lowers the antenna to see if he can lower the intensity of Gordon. Uh, (laughs) Oh, so good. That's some good shit. David Lynch, uh, and specifically, uh, maybe, you know, he's only in this movie for very little. He's mostly yelling, but I'll give it credit for season three. I think he did an excellent job uh, in season three specifically. But to have him just be the sort of like uh, arbiter of like, 
getting the direction started on the film. Uh, it's fun just to see him there. I really love that character. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so we get this, I, there's something about the shot of the plane coming in to the, Mm -hmm. uh, the little private airport. Um, it's just so smooth and just beautifully shot. And it just looks so crazy good. And of course, you know, Chet, he's got his own prop plane because why Mm -hmm. the hell not? But, um, you know, he's introduced to Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland's character, uh, who seems mildly out of it, but that's cool. And we get Lil, this strange woman in a blue dress. But, you know, we get the secret communique and the introduction of the blue rose. Yes. Um, God, it's it's so weird. And, you know, it's like, okay, okay, here we're getting the David Lynch, like typical, you know, grotesques and, um, you know, quirkiness here. And it's like, okay, maybe this is going to be like, you know, old school Twin Peaks, but uh, it's it's about all we get. Um, so is this the first, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a little while since I've rewatched season one and two again. Is this the first mention of the Blue Rose? I am not 100% on that. Blue Book, I, but then there's this is the Rose. Right, right. Yeah, and it has more prominence in season three, which I feel like they really explain it. Oh, yeah. They really break it down. So it's their the, own X Files, right? It's. Yeah. With this, I love there's the scene where, you know, uh, Chet is there. Dexter is talking to Patrick, Patrick Sweezy. Oh, my God. My names are. Uh, it's late, by the way. I just want to let you know it's late and I've been busy. That's um, fair. Either Sutherland. Um, and they mentioned the fact that, you know, you see the blue rose. And he's like, well, what is that? He's like, oh, my God. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> like, and, like, and I'm just like, okay. And it just keeps building that lore of like, what does that mean? Like, what are these little things that Lynch keeps adding to this world that just gives it texture? And he doesn't explain things right away. And it took 25 years to maybe hear that story, um, which I find fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, God, it, I love the little flashbacks back to Lil mm-hmm. as they're explaining all the little yes. bit. And it's like, okay, couldn't just slide a piece of paper across the, no. you know, no, no, we're just going to act it out. Play charades. Why not? Um, so we get to, is it Deer Meadow? Um, police station. Yeah. 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 And, uh, wow. They are not friendly. Um, but you know, Chester Desmond's a fucking G here. You know, he just storms his way in, you know, basically breaks the deputy's nose, um, barges way in and tells him, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And the pushback just continues. And it's like, all right. I don't understand what's happening here. It's I, I get local law enforcement being standoffish with the FBI, especially in a small town, but uh also really it I, well I'll, this is how and this is how I think I've heard or if I've at least explained it to myself. Specifically when they go to the diner later as we're going to get there in a moment. Uh this is anti Twin Peaks. This is everything is the opposite. The police station is the most unwelcoming place, but when you have Dale Cooper, who is also FBI, he's welcomed almost right away. He's almost part of the team. He gets you know indoctrinated into a secret society. With yeah. book boys. All of a sudden, so, he's like, a bookhouse boy. Yeah, 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 exactly. So this is to me is just like the anti Twin Peaks world, where everything is way awful. Where what the antithesis of what Twin Peaks is, which is a wonderful place that has a lot of darkness with it. 
this right. is what if the darkness took it over in a lot of ways. Yeah, so, oh, you're absolutely right. And I have yeah. never thought about it from that perspective. That is super, super cool. Um, God, yeah, everybody, even Jesus. Yeah. So I, I actually asked you before we did this, uh, if possibly talking about a little bit about the missing pieces, sure. which missing pieces was all extensively. It's like a semi sequel, but it's really just deleted scenes collected uncensically just in an order and uh it's only really included like on dvds as far as i'm seeing mm-hmm. but i do love there's extended stuff in this section of the film of uh just actually fighting the uh <laughs> right there's like um a test of strength or something there's like that yeah, yeah 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 and it's so weird and wild and there's a lot of scene of it in the uh in the missing pieces but it is funny that they did obviously exclude that i'm, I'm okay with it overall it definitely helps with the pacing um, but yeah, for sure. I find that funny that that was something that was going to be included in this section of the film. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that, it feels like almost, uh, like Lynch trying to say, Hey, we've, we've got some, you know, we've got some frost stuff here and there. We can mm-hmm. sprinkle a little in. Nah, yeah. nah, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> there's the, the line about, uh, uh, you know, I think this, uh, whole building furniture included is worth $27,000 and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pile of shit. I think that he's just about right in, uh, you know, 1989 or 1988 dollars. I'm sure it was. And then we get the really unsettling examination of Teresa Banks. Yes. And I mean, they, they pull her out of the freezer and her eyes aren't even closed. She's still, you know, kind of frozen in a scream there. And the Battle of Menti score, it just adds to the unease. It is all over the place in this scene. Um, God, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's unsettling. Just, I mean, this is the first time we're seeing a, an uh, unseen character that was mentioned mm-hmm. in the original series. This is the first time we're seeing them, and it's the Rictus corpse. Uh, you know, uh, this is also crazily enough the introduction of the number of uh, the the letters in the fingernails, mm-hmm. um, which is also something that has become a staple you know, with with the show, at least how with with Dale Cooper. To think that this actually establishes with this character, I do find that pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, for for the scene, it is such an unsettling thing, and uh, it continues on in David Lynch's career, having very unsettling moments um, of little information that we find out. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then, like you mentioned, Hap's Diner. It, it's mm-hmm. the anti double R. One hundred percent. Yeah, but you know, I I kind of like Irene. I kind of like her. I kind of dig her. It's, you know, I feel like we all has for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we all have an Irene in our lives. You, you know, you, you do. It's, I know I do. I work with a few Irenes, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, she's kind of great. Um, but yeah, just God, boy, you really got me thinking about the anti twin peaks. It's no, uh, yeah. I mean, Haps is anti R and then there's a weird room that's associated to this diner that just has a light that keeps flickering in this weird way. And there's like strange oh, people. Oh, there that loves his flashing lights. Absolutely. Loves it. Loves yeah. it. Sorry for the photosensitive people. This is probably maybe not the movie for you. Maybe, not. Um, maybe fast forward through that one. I don't know. That yeah. might make it worse. Not sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. And then throughout this scene. Okay. 
you're from Chicago, so you'll probably understand yes. this reference. The uh-huh. uh, what time is it gag where he makes him spill his coffee in his lap. Uh, <laughs> God, that's like straight out of, uh, you know, Bozo the Clown and Cookie, you know, that kind of yeah. shit. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's little moments here and there with some of the phrases that are said and some of the little gags like that where I, I'm not sure what kind of world these feel like they belong in. It's other than possibly David Lynch, but yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's a little weird. Um, I don't know if it's to establish just how old school Chet Desmond ultimately is. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's got the perfectly coiffed hair. You know, it's just he. I think it's like the sort of like. The thing that David Lynch always describes to, which is like sort of this 50s culture to sort of like too cool for school kind of thing. And that's definitely, I think, what uh, he is specifically because yep. he is the cool one. And then you have the sort of fresh faced newbie that falls for everything. Um, I do find their dynamic to be very fun. But, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, as much as they're in this movie, they're not. You know, like they're in this movie, but they're, they're we're not. The movie has not even started yet, to be fair. Oh, no, we're, we're still in the first act big time. Yes. Um, then we get to the, um, you know, what is it? Uh, Fat Trout. Uh, Fat Trout. Yes. The yeah. trailer park. And Harry Dean Stanton is not to be trifled with. They, no. I, they back away from that door when they hear him screaming because they finally read, you know, do not ever wake me up before 9 a.m. ever. And it's almost like they're going to draw their guns because they're that concerned. Um, but, you know, he's just a little mildly hungover, majorly hungover. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, he does him a solid. It, and so what's the deal with the super old coffee in this film? <laughs> Because again, it's kind of the anti Twin Peaks, right? Yes, because it's it not it's not a fresh pot that's put on just for the people no. as they're coming in or for the guests or anything. You got the coffee that was fresh two days ago. You got the Good Morning America that's got the sting of the forty eight hour blend. It's uh, they drink it, but uh, you can tell it's almost like having a fish in the percolator, right? Yeah, uh, and I think like 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 you're saying in Twin Peaks, the coffee is delicious damn fine if anything but what the only bad thing that happens is maybe a fish got in it exactly there you go i had mine too i have an r and r uh diner i have an r diner one and nice. i i'd bring it uh but anyways yeah uh <laughs> i just think that this is just another example of this trailer park being the other anti like sort of like how the houses are like mm-hmm. the real houses are all nice and this is this is where the housing is is a trailer park um i do find it funny though i believe he ends up moving that trailer park in season three because that the trailer right. park is actually closer to Twin Peaks. Right, right. It's just yeah. on the outside of town, and that and mm-hmm. that caught me a little off guard uh, in watching the yeah. return for the first time. But I'm like, maybe this town really is that close. I don't know. It, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Harry Dean stands great. Uh, yeah. Which it, real quick before we move hmm. on, because uh, like I said, I dove in, got all the history. You watch this movie, you just think he's just the character. He's just the guy that runs this thing. In the return, you get a little bit more with him, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But he's more mentioned, actually, in the books, ah. um, which I don't know if you've read or not. I have uh, not. So the books, there's two books, right? There's one that was, and they're both written by Mark Frost, who was part of the showrunner for uh, the TV show. The book is expanding the history before Twin Peaks in terms of like going all the way back to like uh, Lewis and Clark era. 
in terms yeah. of like his connection with the Indians and the the whole the whole play like the whole place like before Twin Peaks arrived, setting up a lot of obviously the lore that we know about the Black Lodge. Um, in that, it also sets up the story of what's going on with the Log Lady, and what's also going on with him, which they're connected. There was a story in there, and I'm not going to go too long because I know we have more a lot to talk about this movie. But basically, they were abducted and they were brought back, and they have markings on their body. And the, the assumption is is that it has something to do with the Black Lodge, and that's why the Log Lady is so connected, and he is also part of that connection. Mm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, he's just a damn guy in a trailer park. No, he's actually pretty deeper in there, and there's a reason why he's in the return. <laughs> Also, rest in peace. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, Harry yes. Dean Stanton, uh, just gold in anything that he's in. So, yeah. Yeah. Sad. Um, so Desmond decides to go back to the trailer park and uh, do a little investigating. And he finds the ring and he goes to pick it up. And poof, he is gone. Yeah. Um, okay. Weird. But, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get into that later because Boya comes back and then we cut to Philadelphia and enter Agent Cooper, uh, you know, just bringing those fun Twin Peaks vibes back from the TV show that I'm sure everybody at this point watching the film for their first time, you know, especially if they're fans and not just coming to it cold or like, oh, thank God. You yeah. Know? Oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely the response that I first saw this. However, it still has that David Lynch lit, like filter over it because it's not happy Dale Cooper. It's no. very concerned and weird out Dale Cooper. Absolutely. He is freaked and he's wow. checking the security camera and then walking back into the hall and back and forth until he sees possibly his doppelganger and mm-hmm. enter Agent Jeffries. And then he does his weird little run into the office, <laughs> you know, Bowie. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Bowie's here. <laughs> yeah. Why not? If we got to have some stranger enter, why not let it be Bowie? Um, yeah. And we're not going to talk about Judy. No, we are not going to talk about Judy, which now. Yeah. Yes. What? Exactly. Yeah. I'm not explaining why my reaction is. You just got to watch the show. Just, you know. Absolutely. Yes. Once yeah. you get through that third season, it all has so Ooh. much deeper meaning and holy yes. crap. And then we yeah. get the introduction of Garmin Bosia. And uh, this is a Formica table. Uh, the Garmin Bosia, uh, it's the first time we hear the, the phrase. Um, now, it may just appear to be creamed corn, but no, it's uh, pain and suffering, or is it pain and sorrow? Pain and sorrow. Is pain really and sorrow. Okay. So, yeah. And if you remember from the second season, uh, you know, the uh, Mrs. Tremond, uh, you know, she's given her meal from Meals on Wheels, and she does not want creamed corn. But her grandson... He takes care of that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, yes, the Chalfons, Tremons. I don't know why the uh, the character name change. Maybe that's something in the books. But uh, yeah. But still, I can't think of the actress's name. But she is so good. She, yeah. I mean, I, I remember she was actually the grandmother in um, Billy. Oh, Happy Gilmore. Uh, oh, yeah. She, yeah, which that's why I first knew her for. So when I see her in here, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember you. And it's like semi and unsettling um yeah but, well and then also the creepy innkeeper in uh in the mouth of madness um yes yes yeah yeah uh cool stuff there yeah uh, that's can we talk about that scene specifically because that is when this is the first time we're seeing this room and we don't know what this room is right. in context 
in this movie. We just see a bunch of people around this table, and obviously you see yeah, the Tron and the little boy. Mm, you see this Brock now. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Uh, just this interesting figure that is there too. Um, just doing this little dance or you know whatever's going on there, and then of course yeah, you have the arm and you have Bob. And this is the first time you see him in the movie. And they're like, yeah, okay, we're back. We're deep back in this world because we've mm-hmm. not, this is something you don't see uh, until the third season, um, which is pretty, pretty crazy. Yep. And uh, now cut back to Philadelphia and we get the word. Uh, well, first of all, uh, Jeffrey's just totally vanishes as he's yeah. ranting and raving. He's suddenly gone. And well, also they get word that Chester Desmond is missing. Oh no. So Cooper, Heads out to the uh, to the uh, the West Coast there and uh, investigates yeah, the trailer park and uh, probably oh no absolutely oh, you're right you're right you're right you're right you're right yeah yeah you're yeah, he, right he does go to the trailer park now he he wakes up Harry Dean Stanton unfortunately he apologizes for it because he's the solid dude that he is yes. but uh, he goes and he finds the space with the um, uh, the uh, missing trailer from uh, the Chalfonts and. Then he looks over and he notices Desmond's car with it's just covered with all this dust and dirt. Yeah. But we get the lovely reverse shot from inside written in lipstick on the windshield. <laughs> Let's rock. Yes. And the act one is officially donezo at this point. We yes. are back in Twin Peaks, complete Literally. with falling playing yeah. Laura's theme. God, it, I can only we're imagine. like 45 minutes in or something like this at this point. Some ridiculous amount. Yeah. There's still so much left of this movie. Uh, but I can only imagine like I got to watch season three in real time, which is an experience. Yes. I can only imagine real time of like the show ends. You're like bummed about it. And then this coming back and then having that like oh, we're back home like that. That moment. Um, yeah, no, I, when I watched the movie, I was absolutely like, oh, thank God we're back at Twin Peaks and everything's going to be a OK. And then it starts that way, but then it starts to slowly creep into back into the darkness, which I, is always a theme in the show. Yep. Yep. You get Laura uh, popping into the bathroom at school for a little bump before first period. And uh, yep. yeah, uh, just weird interactions in the hallway with James. And then next thing you know, it's uh, creepy, sexy times in the janitor's closet. And yeah. you can tell that these two, even if you didn't know what's about to happen, they're fucking doomed. It's <laughs> they're just, no, it's uh, she's James and his dumb puppy dog eyes. Yeah. He's only cool when he's playing the guitar and that's about it. It's, <laughs> If you could say that, yes. Yeah, sure. maybe, maybe not. I love even. it. I love it. Well, it's yeah, as a Twin Peaks funny. fan, you kind of have yeah. to love it, but it's. <laughs> yeah. Good geez. on you, James. Good on you. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we cut to, you know, Laura and, uh, and Donna leaving school and Bobby oh having an absolute freak out. Oh, I love you, Bobby, so much. Thank you. I, I missed him so much. And I love what they did with him in the return. Yeah, I thought absolutely. It was such Perfect. a fun turnaround for him. And anybody listening or watching to this, if you haven't seen 
that third season. What the hell is wrong with you? Seek this out. It's like Mario <laughs> said. Yeah, the, yeah. Know, We're doing our best not to spoil that because that's definitely future spoilers from this point. Yeah. But uh, yeah. uh, those first two seasons were totally fair game. Now, the fun thing about this interaction with Laura and Bobby, that I, I just I love and it just was coming through and just just waves as I was watching it last night. Um, she's the fucking queen of his tiny fucking world. And she's so got him wrapped around her finger. He's mad as hell and grabbing her really hard. And just, you see his face just go from anger to the super forced smile that by the end of it, he, he means it, you know, Mm -hmm. and then just walks away kind of backwards, which, you know, kind of black lodge there a little bit, right. Reverse yeah. acting. And, you know, With he's that just weird music. Yeah. That oh, weird little effect that, like rap, almost sp- spoken there, word. There's a lot <laughs> of that spoken word rap kind of shit throughout this movie. Early, yeah, late night, early nineties. Like what is happening here? That's crazy. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, she just totally turned his word around in a moment. Laura mm-hmm. is the one in control of yes her entire world, except for, you know, one aspect, one really horrible aspect, but everything else, you know, and it's probably by design, you know, it feels totally out of control with, you know, everything that's going on with her, but, you know, is able to basically, yeah. yeah, You know, you're, you're nailing it on the head in terms of she's in control of the things that she can control in terms of, her life when there's things that you're right. Nothing. There's the thing that she can't control, but she's using it. So that way she could distract herself from that thing. Yeah. She's using Bobby. She's using James in a lot of ways. Using drugs to self-medicate and exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. It's, it's so fucked. Uh, and Donna in some ways too, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 And and as much as, um, you know, I like Myra Kelly as an actress. Mm -hmm. I I think she's pretty cool, but I miss Laura Flynn Boyle in this role, especially. Yeah. I have have, uh, conflicting feelings about Laura Flynn Boyle, mostly because I feel like uh, she kind of ruined season two of uh, Twin Peaks for me. And that's what is in my notes here that particularly season one, Laura Flynn Boyle. I, yeah. I enjoy the second season when we get into the whole thing about when she's, you know, touching and wearing Laura's stuff, how she starts acting like her. Yeah. Not even that, Joe. To be it was actually because Laura from Boyle was dating Dale Cooper right. in real life. And the show was cl- in the clear direction of Dale Cooper and Audrey Horn, which gross but hot and gross, but awesome uh, was clearly the direction they were kind of go. And then Laura from boy was like, fuck no. And then therefore that trajectory changed. And then we got Heather Graham. I'm not going to complain about Heather Graham. No, not that one so bit, but uh, it definitely was. I feel like, and they're kind of, they kind of dealt with it a little in a strange way in season three. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, uh, I have a gripe against her because of that. That's, that's fair. There, there's a lot in that second season that's uh, yeah. okay. We have to do a 22 episode standard season. Yeah. So uh-huh. we're going uh-huh. to have a lot of filler. Like James is going to go off on his little vision quest and shack up with this yeah. weird older lady and mm. strange chauffeur. And uh, yeah, just no, oh, 100%. Yeah. There's definitely some things there. Yes. Uh, um, so uh, Laura pops home and, you know, she's 
smoking a cigarette, drinking a drinky drink, and she breaks out the diary and oh fuck, there's missing pages. Yes. Laura, your life is unraveling. It's and you know, so she has her little freak out with that and she runs to go see Harold. Um Yes. Wait this, this show the movie by far allowing characters that we get so little of mm-hmm. to have at least a little bit more space and occupy in sort of like where they fit in people's worlds. And yeah. a lot of that is Teresa Banks in a lot of ways. Laura Palmer is not in the show primarily except, you know, a couple of tiny include. flashbacks and, uh, yeah. And the one thing, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the one cousin character. But, uh, <laughs> but other than that, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's funny to say. It. Yes. Identical <laughs> cousins. Yes. <laughs> Yes, she was on the show, but not she was not on the show. Right. Um, but Lord, yeah. So the fact that this whole movie is literally just fulfilling those, and I think that's awesome. And Harold's another one of those things. Just yeah. uh, where does he fit in all this? Yeah, it gives him room to breathe and flesh him out a little bit more. And uh, so she has her little meltdown with him, and then it intensifies. And we get this great fire walk with me flash there, okay. where she's in all the creepy dark makeup, and her teeth are all yellow. And holy crap, it's intense. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, this is not your Twin Peaks television show at all at this point. Um, and then we're back in Philadelphia, I guess. Um, uh, I'm to this is where the, the, the movie goes on this like journey where we, we get some things in Philadelphia, but we're mostly yeah, following it's, track with. Rosenfeld uh, is just, you know, questioning agent Cooper oh, and, yes. and shout out to Miguel Ferrer. Um, yeah. yes. Also RIP. Um, yes. Uh, God, so many people made it back for the return just in time mm-hmm. to pass away on us. And yeah. I mean, some of them literally dying as they were filming and, uh, God, just he's, yeah, he's no, great. It's, it's, yeah. He's great. And this scene's really great. You're right. It's, we are back in Philadelphia. We get a little bit more Dale Cooper, which is exactly, you know, we want more, but mm-hmm. we're only giving teases. We're only giving little slices. Yeah. And, and it was kind of by design, really right? Because he didn't want to be typecast in this role. So yeah. his role was greatly reduced. I mean, shout out to Lynch respecting his actors enough to, you know, play ball with stuff like that. Um, yeah. everyone that I've ever seen interviewed about his process just gushes about how mm-hmm. well he treats his stable of actors and it shows. I, I think yeah, he, he really gets the best out of him. Um, so we cut back to Twin Peaks, and uh, Laura's helping out with the Meals on Wheels thing, and Mrs. Shelfont and uh, her grandson show up and give her this the music, oddly the music in the scene. Mm-hmm. So good. Yes. It's uh, a variant of the stuff from the. Um, examination of Teresa Banks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. And they, they give her this framed photo of this doorway and it kind of looks like her bedroom door, but kind of not. And, and what is it that the grandson whispers something about, um, you know, he's, uh, he's getting closer to the diary or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's to the diary. He's under the fan. Yes. Like yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So oh, it's can't help with meals on wheels. I got to go home. Um, yeah, I got to go. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, uh, what's her face? Manchinamic. She didn't even oh want to God, help yeah. with uh, you know Meals yeah. on Wheels, but you know she's doing her thing. She's like, uh, okay, but Laura does her you know little scamper off thing. Um, it, it, I was watching Blue Velvet about a month or two ago, 
And it's very similar to um, uh, Laura Dern uh, towards mm-hmm. the end of the mm-hmm. film where she just comes running arms flailing out of the darkness screaming. And it's kind of the same type of run. Um, yeah. It, it's weird. But uh, so uh, village has a, has a trope, but it's I, this I, weird, yeah. like flaily run thing. Yeah, I, I sure. guess so. Uh, so, yeah, Laura gets home and uh, gets to grapple with the awful truth um, by mm. seeing first Bob in her bedroom running, getting out and then realizing that it's her father leaving the house. And she's Ugh. finally able to put two and two together there. And oh, fuck. Yes. It's your uh, daddy all along. Um, Cheryl Lee would, has the best scream ever, by the way. Oh, yeah. The best scream, the best smile in terms of how beautiful and creepy it can be, mm-hmm. depending on just a twinch of an eye. Like, it's mm-hmm. it, she is fascinating uh, as an actress that whenever I do see her on screen, I'm always like, what is going to happen? Like, if we had, like, the, the Batman, that which is, uh, came out, right? If we had like a movie like that, she would be my Harley Quinn in a, in a second. She just has that interesting, like deranged smile look that I feel like that she could add to something because she just goes places, even in other you know movies that I've seen her in. Right? Yeah, you know John Carpenter's vampires. Um, <laughs> kind of was the one I was thinking of, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm glad we're simpatico like with that. Yeah. Um, so she. <laughs> Finally comes home and uh, Ray Wise just bringing the creepy here with the whole wash your hands bit. And oh, just any, where'd you get this? Is it from your lover with the necklace and just pinching her cheek? And she's just staring and crying and just in total shock because, of course, she understands what's been going on all this time now. Her abuser is indeed her father. And And Grace Zabriskie coming in there and, you know, she doesn't like that. How would you know what she likes? Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, uh, man, shout out to both Ray, uh, Ray Rise and yeah, uh, the actress that plays uh, Palmer, Mrs. Palmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are some of the most unsettling actors and talk about great screams. She has also one of the world time screams oh, that got God, me yeah. into the show. Like at first I laughed at it, but the more that I've seen it and understand it, it's terrifying. And this just adds to that. If you watch this out of context of the first episode, you understand the sort of horror that is kind of going on the sub, you know, subsiding horror. Um, specifically, if you know the fact that uh, I think it's revealed in the first season that she was kind of being like semi drugged during this time. Yeah. Um, I think both mother and daughter were being drugged. Um, yeah. And you get that creepy scene of um, Leland basically forcing her to finish this glass of milk. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, and then when the fan comes on, you know, it's go time, right? It's, mm-hmm. ugh. Um, and and ugh. I also think after this creepy dinner scene, uh, Leland is starting to come to terms with the awful truth too, because is this yes. when he starts getting the, uh, the flashbacks to Teresa banks at the, uh, the motel. That is much later in the film actually. Okay. Um, but I'm not sure when that starts, but you're right. It's literally like this terrible, creepy, like, uh, 
you know, uh, dinner scene. And then it's almost like in the way that I've always interpreted it is like Bob sometimes lets Leland go off the leash just so he can feel that pain and come to those realizations of like what you're doing. Like that's the, I think the thing with Leland is that I think he does know what he's done and has consistently done since she's 12. But Bob is allow is only holding him back so much so that way he can let him go to have those feelings. And that happens in that scene when she go she goes in, right? He talks mm-hmm. to he has this like, you know, you know, and there's a moment where she says, Dad, and you're just like, she's happy that it's her actual dad talking to her, but still she's absolutely terrified. It's absolutely just oh it's it's David Lynch has made a lot of movies. This one's probably the one that has affected me the most in terms of what yeah. the message and things that are happening. It, so many of his films, you know, they lean towards the spooky, the creepy, you know, but this one is absolutely straight up horror film. It's yeah. just without question. And uh, it, there's maybe a reason why I watch this nearly every October. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> it. And it, it's a tough watch to be fair. I mean, considering the subject matter and, but you know, it, it's still, it's a nice little, you know, two hour plus way to get back into twin peaks without all the commitment of jumping through a complete rewatch, which I need to do sometime, especially the return, but no, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's nighttime and she wakes up and the photo that she has hung on her wall becomes a doorway to the black lodge. It's, uh, okay. Uh, and the man from another place, you know, he's there of course, and he never fails to creep. And now the ring comes back this weird little, you know, green stoned ring and Cooper's there too. So, you know, I brought up very early on, okay, this is both a prequel and a sequel because time really has no meaning within the black lodge. This is Dale from the end of the second season after he has been, trapped there uh warning laura not to take the ring and yeah i i find it interesting that dale is not in reverse his footsteps are clearly not in reverse because you can always hear the reverse footsteps uh from the other characters um but of course she takes the ring um and wakes up and it's your favorite uh annie blackburn bloody based in bed with her um yeah yeah it's uh uh, that oh my god when i finished season two and i watched this movie and i was like oh my god they're actually continuing that story i was like oh my god thank you for something and i was and i was wondering what was what was that about but i love that fact that it's trying to fill in those details of the end of season two um as well as you know uh details that have led into that which of course was the diary and so (laughs) that was a cool way of tying all those things up um, do you want to know uh, Annie's fate, actually, uh, uh, since you didn't read the books? You know, I wouldn't mind. And uh, boy, if you've made it this far into the podcast, um, you are probably some type of a Swim Peaks super fan as well. So yeah. by all means, uh, go ahead and spoil that a little bit. Okay, so uh, this takes place in the second book, which is a book that takes place after The Return. So this mm-hmm. is this book is written actually by the character that uh, Chris, I think Crystal Lee plays it's the the new detective that joins them on the blue rose case okay she's the model she's the model friend of david lynch 
Uh, it's written from her perspective. Actually, both books are. Uh, she's actually a character that Mark Frost created, I believe. Um, but what is cool is that we get little insights of what happened after all the characters, including characters you don't see in the return. Hmm. Um, so even like um, Leo, you actually get stuff about him too. Uh, but I'm going to talk about specific Annie because Annie is to me was a really great character they introduced and you just don't get enough of. Hmm. Her sad backstory with this is obviously she survives at the end of season two. But she's canatonic and also is very much in a troubled state of hurting herself and has always been there. Uh, and she doesn't say anything except for uh, she says the words, uh, I think I'm fine. That's what she says. Which is fucked up because if you know, <laughs> at the end of season two, doppelganger to Gail Cooper is saying, where's Annie? Where's Annie? Mm-hmm. Where's Annie? And she says, I'm fine. Uh, uh, wow read, yeah yeah i gotta Mark get my Frost hands on these yeah really good. absolutely yeah um oh god where am i here oh uh we cut a little uh well no she uh wakes up from all of this or maybe yeah, just falls back asleep and wakes up and the ring is gone and yeah. you get the fun little whooshing noise as she opens her hand. You know, it's uh, very much disappeared. And then we cut to a Leo Johnson scene. Uh, yes. he, he's in this movie like twice. And yes. this is like the first bit where he really starts abusing. Um, Shelley? Shelley. Yes, Shelly. Uh, yeah. For some reason, I can only think of the actress's name tonight. Um, oh, me too. <laughs> it's, but they're kind of interchangeable. So that's okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, wow, that's kind of brutal. Um, and of course, Bobby, you know, needs a little more blow. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but not just to sell, uh, of course it's because Laura's out, uh, fresh out of blow. Um, and well, uh, how are we going to pay for this? Well, it's, um, time to go sell yourself a little bit more, I guess. Um, and you, we get this, you know, log lady blessing outside the roadhouse, the bang, bang bar. And I think this is the only bit that the log lady is in the film. She's probably in the missing yeah. pieces. I can't She's remember, it, yeah. but um, I don't know what the scenes are, but you're absolutely right. This is the only time you see her in the film. And it's, you know, again, obtuse random shit, but it's, it's still just haunting and beautiful. And Laura's face. While she's yeah. listening to all this, it's just, you just, you know, you just want to give her a hug and tell her it's going to be okay. It's yeah. Ah, God. She's just, she's just a baby that needs guidance. That's literally what it is. It's just, yeah. she's just corrupting, uh, getting corrupted by this world. Um, but shout out to the log lady. Uh, you're, you're not in this movie a lot, but you are an essential part of twin peaks and my interest in the show. And, uh, as a person who's worked with uh, David Lynch, almost her like, Mm-hmm. adult life um which is pretty crazy all the way back from Eraserhead. yeah uh and shout out you know the last set season uh absolutely nails it mm-hmm. and such a send-off oh god um, yeah. Uh, yeah um and then she steps into the roadhouse and we get this heart-rending julie cruz performance uh intercut yes. with laura selling herself it's uh questions in a world of blue um which i guess is sort of like the unofficial theme song to the film um <laughs> but oh god it's so good it's yes. <laughs> and so you got Jacques uh, directing a couple of bozos over to her. Uh, and then Donna shows up uh, and oh, 
okay, you know, what the hell are you doing? Right? Yeah. What the hell are you doing, Donna? I know you're trying to save your friend here, but, um, okay. Um, so it's time to take off and go to Canada and the pink room. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of people called the black lodge, the red room, right? Because of the curtains and you get this odd little offshoot of it and oh my God, it's loud. And it's so loud. Uh, Have you ever seen the the show Euphoria, perchance? Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) It's so good. This this is Euphoria before Euphoria in the sense of like the absence of the sound is overtaking everything and you're just sort of being drawn in and it's so oddly. It's just the fucking vibe. Yeah, it's just a fucking vibe for like way too long, but also not long enough. Like you're just in this. Yeah. You're in the scene. You're in this scene. And of course it's subtitled because it has to be subtitled because there's no way to, you know, tell what the hell's going on. And you get, you know, these (laughs) odd little phrases and everybody is just like, (laughs) (laughs) yes, I am the great went. Um, (laughs) shout out to Jack. (laughs) Yeah. Jacques Renault. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, So, you know, they're passing around their drinks and they spike Donna's beer and uh, just shit kind of spirals out of control. Uh, We get Ronette Pulaski showing up and reuniting with Laura. Um, Somebody that we only really saw in a coma in the first season and kind of in and out of coma in the second season. Um, But, uh, you know, cool to reconnect. And they have their talk about uh, One-Eyed Jacks the uh, brothel they used to work at together and uh, you know, have their weird little times. And here's where Donna picks up Laura's sweater off the floor. And this is, you know, that touchstone to the second season where her using Laura's stuff just makes her act like her. It's like, just By the way, welcome, welcome to the next guest of the show. My cat that loves to jump on my keyboard. All right. Welcome cat that likes to jump on Mario's keyboard. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that weird touchstone and Donna is just out of control and Laura sees what's happening and has that freak out moment. And Jacques to his credit of being an absolute scumbag and, you know, sort of villain in the series, he scoops up Donna and takes care of her. And then this, one of the most beautiful tracking shots of the entire film the slow track of the cigarette butt and broken glass and beer bottle littered floor with yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the band continuing to play. God damn. It's cool. I, there needs to be more gifts of that, but I haven't found them. <laughs> um, it's just, it's so good. Oh my God. There's so much of this film. That's so good. And this film is so ignored. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Like I, I think it visually is probably the one of the most stunning, uh, Things I have seen, uh, no, David Fincher's different. Uh, David Fincher, oh my god, David Lynch is done. Sorry, it's been a very Batman filled weekend. Yeah, um, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, I'm you know, kind of there with you as far as being completely wiped out from the week. So, this is uh, this is a fun release for sure. Um, no, for sure. but uh, yeah, we 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 move on then to you know, the next morning, and uh, Laura or Donna rather is having kind of a rough morning, a little yeah. bit. Uh, Laura's kind of used to it. So she's faring much better. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. Uh, And then, well, it's 
time to go to breakfast with mom, honey. Uh, Leland just walks right into Donna's house. And I know he's friends with her father, uh, mm. who, of course, we don't see in this film. Uh, I can't yeah. think of the actor's name, but uh, yeah, Doc, Doc Hayward that. is fucking great. Um, yes. But then they drive off in the car, and she is not wanting to be there, of course, because everything. And well... Okay, so Leland picks up uh, Laura, and they're driving off to breakfast, and one-armed Mike comes out of the blue, and he's got his weird, strange camper, and he's circling them and shouting and screaming, and here's where Laura notices the burning engine smell before he really starts revving the engine, almost to mask the fact that the smell is coming out of nowhere. Um, yeah. and of course the burning engine oil signifying, you know, the, I guess, sort of the crossover between, you know, these hosts and, uh, their, uh, malevolent spirits that are kind of controlling them. Um, I, I can't remember what Mike is exactly screaming at them, but you definitely see the ring on his finger there. Yeah. And, and then things kind of spiral out of control with Leland, um, yeah. This is actually when we then get the flashbacks. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, the killing of Teresa. Uh, there's, I can't remember if there's a flash. There's the, black, there's the blackmail. It's them in the, the motel where he sees Laura there with Teresa and stuff like that. Okay. And yep. All, and he has his freak out about chickening it. out. And yeah. Okay. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Leland is starting to spiral big time here. Um, yes. And then we just cut tonight with uh, Laura and Bobby taking their little walk in the woods. Uh, Booze and blow and Deputy Mike, I I have in my notes here. Uh, Laura is just completely off the rails. Just out of it. Completely out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bobby's barely keeping it together. Just keeping her under control and trying to enjoy himself. But also it's like, okay, we got business to deal with here. And... um, yeah, Mike's the guy that uh, it was hinted at, of course, in um, yeah, the earlier I, seasons that Bobby kills. Yeah, it's a, it's just mentioned in passing as something that could have possibly have happened or a rumor, mm-hmm. and straight up you actually see it. Now, this was the first time he actually kind of no- noticing in a lot of ways that it was sort of self-defense. Um, right. I always thought that he was murder, uh, but it's actually the guy pulls out the gun first and Bobby, in, in response to defend himself, shoots. He does give off that lash crazy shot in the back of the man's head. Yeah. Uh, but you could symbolize, I mean, that's the guy getting up to shoot him again. So there's that. But yeah, it's a, uh, this scene is crazy. When I saw this scene and the fact that it connected to that story, uh-huh. I was blown away of like, Oh my God, they're actually following up on that. I actually thought that was just a thread. Well, don't worry because I, I, I think it's very clear that Bobby can't believe it himself. So yeah. <laughs> uh, he is shocked at what he did. And yes. Laura's just laughing her ass off. So let's, you know, <laughs> grab a, a couple of twigs and, you know, a couple of pine yes. needles and we'll sprinkle them on top of the body. And uh, we got to bounce. Um, yeah. yeah uh, so obviously this was. Uh, you know, supposed to be uh, somebody tying up some loose ends with Bobby and Laura, but um, 
yeah, it didn't exactly work out, did it? Uh, and then we get James the next day swinging by the Palmers at like the worst possible time. James, get a hint here. Get a clue. This is not good. This will not end well. End well. She does not want you here. And no. yeah, kind of basically tells him as much, right? I think that's no, no. We get one more bit of James much later on here, and it's the, the big, I think the, the, big be, stuff. the best. Yeah, the only scene to me in this movie that is the best James stuff, and maybe the best James stuff ever, personally, is actually seeing him. Uh, it, we'll get there, but yeah. it's, I think that's the best part. All the stuff that is described in the series yes. that we never yes. actually see. Yes, yes, yes. But before that, we get milk and cookies and Bob. Um, <sighs> So, yeah, uh, yeah, this is the tilting of the glass with uh, uh, Laura's mom. And then yeah, mom wakes up with, you know, how to speak German uh, on her chest. It's like a little light reading before bed. Right. Um, and well, well, we said we weren't going to talk about Judy, but uh, we get to see Judy, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Uh, um, so. If you've only seen this far into the craziness of Twin Peaks, it's just a big white horse that shows up in the middle of the bedroom. I don't know who's cleaning up after that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's one of those weird ones where, you know, if you've seen this film for the very first time or, you know, I know a lot of people that saw this film without having seen any of the TV series. They just yeah. saw it because it was weird David Lynch shit and they wanted to see more weird David Lynch shit. Mm -hmm. uh, big mistake on their part, of course, because, wow, you can't watch this film without being somewhat yeah. initiated into Twin Peaks. Um, yeah. but there, is, there is some more meaning, I would say, to the horse specifically. Um, in this instance, it is the fact that that sometimes can symbolize drugs. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. The fact that horse that slash like, heroin. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. So yeah. the fact that she's seeing a horse <laughs> in her living room is somewhat of a like on the nose slash, you know, could be, it could be, it could be, it could be, um, yes, yes. Um, so this is where we, you know, get the, the flashing uh, lights again, which are, you know, big David Lynch trope and Bob crawling through the window and on top of Laura. And she starts to see him intercut with Leland. And mm -hmm. do you think it's possibly a, all the drugs that she's on or just her growing awareness of the situation or possibly some kind of a combination of the two that are finally allowing her to see Leland in this moment? I think I think it's actually the combination of the two because if for our assumption that she has not known who Bob was until this week, um, which would allow that possibly that the drugs have always been there and always been subjugated to uh, you know this family mm -hmm. and uh, has been like a filter, a sort of way to cope with it. And but with the understanding of what's actually happening and connecting the dots, you're kind of the veil is slowly falling down and that's why this week is so important in laura's short life sadly is because this is her last week and the things are being revealed to her so yeah i i think it's a sort of combination um yeah this scene is probably one of the most 
you know, we talked about it earlier with traumatic scenes. This is this is the one. This is the this is the scariest scene in the movie. Yeah. It's most disturbing. I remember watching it with um uh, a, a companion at the time. Uh and you know, the response on their look was not the greatest, but they understood what was happening because they watched the show with me as well. Okay. So but they you know weren't happy, but they understand as a part of the content of what was going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, rape scenes are um, they are difficult. Um, I think yes. it's the kind of thing that can be filmed in not a really great way, in that mm-hmm. they're like super exploitative or yeah. almost played for thrills or something like that. And yeah, yeah. I, I mm-hmm. think that this film does a good job and to his credit, David Lynch does a very good job of not going in those directions with it. It's more of just the absolute horror. And thankfully, you know, a lot is left to the imagination as well there too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully for that. I mean, the few times in which we hear just Bob's voice um, in the movie and not just this scene, but I think early on as well. Uh, we hear him say things like, um, I want to taste through your mouth, which mm-hmm. I find fascinating. Cause obviously the whole point is he, he wants to inhabit um, right. Laura. Um, but yeah, no f- fucking traumatizing. Yes. Um, so then all of a sudden it's the next day and well, it's, evening the next day and uh, Laura's kind of starting off her final evening you know she's smoking yeah. and doing blow and hanging out in lingerie and she's already just gone she just is gone. yeah and uh, she happens to look up and there's this painting that we, we didn't bring up yet but it's hanging on her wall near where she hung the uh, photo of the doorway and it's this yeah. angel kind of tending to children around a yeah. table And this angel disappears from the painting. And I'm I'm sure that's some kind of on the nose symbolism of guess what? Your guardian angel is gone. You are fucked kiddo. Um, Yeah. Personally. Yeah. And it connects actually, we didn't, we, we, we we didn't, we didn't bypass it. It's just that it's just part of dialogue, but there's a scene very early on in the movie where Donna and uh, Laura are talking and they're just sort of like in the, in the living room or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, Laura has sort of like a monologue about how she believes that the angels have left her. She says it like directly and it's, it's kind of terrifying. And this is sort of like the actual like visualization of like, they're gone. This is it. Like nothing is coming for you. Um, Uh. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But did we get a good semi thing? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's uh, is it the greatest? No, no, but but yeah, yeah. This, it's a somewhat (laughs) uplifting bit in a lot of darkness and blood and death um but uh so james is just obviously too simple and good for laura i have here in my notes at least as she sees it but you know they're on their little date in the woods and she's just just not having it she's like it's time to go and then um she does see something 
it's a peep of Dale Cooper from 25 years in the future <laughs> lurking in the woods because they retconned the shit out of that later on. Oh, you know, future spoilers it. here for the return. But so awesome, though. <laughs> I, I love, 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 love the fact that they. Oh, my God. You know, let's just explain who this random, you know, shade is in the darkness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get that classic Cheryl Lee scream, right? And OK, it's time to go. And they get to the intersection of what is it? Beachwood and Sparks. Uh, yes. And new album. yes, there you go. <laughs> um, and then, you know, this is all the stuff that was described to us by James and, uh, you know, in the series. And she just falls. She eats shit off of this bike. It's yes. that did not look like fun on that pavement. No, but, uh, you know, she screams that she loves him, kisses him, and runs off into the darkness. And then he does his best impression of, you know, like a James Dean rebel biker by revving the engine and waiting for the light to turn red before peeling off. And it's <laughs> the last we see of James. Uh, and she, like, walks 50 feet into the woods, and there's Leo Johnson and Jacques and Renette on uh, Leo's Corvette, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Sure. It's uh, almost like she planned that. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you didn't have to walk very far, and it's a good thing because you're walking in the woods and heels, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then we get to, uh, I think it's Jacques' cabin, right? Yeah, Jacques' cabin with Leo, Waldo, uh, and yeah. uh, Waldo. Yes, Wal- <laughs> shout out to Waldo. Forgot. <laughs> yeah, it's the minor bird. Uh, Waldo uh, likes to watch. Waldo's a little freak. <laughs> oh, he's a biter too. Weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, apparently, uh, Jacques and Leo decide now's a good time to try some light bondage, and um, things start yeah. spiraling out of control a little bit. Uh, this is where we get. Uh, oh, I have in my notes here. Waldo likes to watch, but Leland also likes to watch because we get his uh, face in the window, and it's full on Leland. It is not even Bob at this point. Yeah. And uh, Jacques goes outside for some air, and he gets a glass or a bottle or something smashed over the back of his head, and he's on the floor. And uh, Leo. I don't know what's going on with Leo, but he's had a bit too much. So he's kind of stumbling around and Laura's, you know, begging to be untied and he steps outside, sees Jacques and he's like, Oh fuck. I get the fuck out of here. And he does. (laughs) And you get the sound of the Corvette peeling off on pavement, even though it's on dirt. Um, But you know, that's okay. It's that's, I, I still buy it, but uh, this movie is in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, and uh, I think there's a little rumor that Lost Highway is soon to be. Uh, oh, interesting. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I would kill to have a nice edition of that. Yeah. Um, so uh, we get, you know, Leland here. Uh, surprise! I, I'm trying to think how. No, Leo drives off. Then Leland walks into the cabin, walks in, and Laura Laura's sees like, it. "Oh fuck, it's dead!" Freaks the fuck off. Yeah, and then and then we get one of those cool David Lynch running through the woods shots yeah. where we have, you know, the flashlight on the path ahead, but when it cuts back to them, mm-hmm. the flashlight is actually on them, and yes. it's it's uh, it's weird. I, I think they're running in place yes. in real life, but the, the idea is they're running. 
But yeah, that's of course them in front with Lilo in the back just having this crazy face. Mm-hmm. Abs- shout out to Ray Rice's like expressions because his he can go from sweet to mm-hmm. absolutely demented in the moment. Oh yeah, he and he's losing his goddamn mind in this scene. Yes. Um, very really losing his mind and uh well you know mike shows up and he tries to help uh he's banging on the rail car for somebody to open up and run at uh throughout everything that's going on somehow her bonds have separated and yeah i wonder how yeah um but uh looks like she's the only one that had a guardian angel monitor i guess so um you know stop bogart and all the guardian angels run at god damn but she she um she no mike doesn't quite get the door open but leland uh smacks her out and basically just drops her out the rail car so yeah she hits the ground pretty hard oh god yeah she eats shit there um and well you get bob kind of cutting back and forth between Bob and Leland and he slides a mirror in front of her so she can see herself and she sees his face in her and, and Oh God, but she's able to deny him basically sacrificing herself in the process. And then we're back in the black lodge and uh, well, Bob is not happy and neither is um, you know, the arm. Uh, the man from another place because he wants his Garmin Bozia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we were, we're able to get it. Basically Laura's death is splattered across the floor. Right. Uh, with that yeah. lovely, lovely shot. And I love the, the, the reverse of like Leland floating in the air, which is like, he's the vessel, right? Blood on Leland removes it. The next shot it's gone. Yep. And then he throws it. So cool. Mm-hmm. Such a nice, subtle, subtle thing. Yep. Before we continue forward, I do want to talk about that ring because yes. I've always been semi confused about how it works because when people use it, no good thing ever happens to them, seemingly. Um, however, though, in this instance, this is where I think. There is some good, but it comes at a cost. Mm-hmm. And that is, this is a sort of the reason why I feel like Dale is actually telling her not to take the ring in a lot of ways is actually this moment specifically, because if she takes the ring, right, she dies. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if she doesn't take the ring, uh, Bob gets her. Bob inhabits her and takes over and gets to do whatever Bob wants and live whatever Bob life that he wants in Laura. And Laura does not want that. And I feel like that is her victory. Why I feel the ending is so strong at this movie is because he, she denies him. Yes. And she takes ownership and control of life over him. Finally, this is her finally winning, mm-hmm. uh, even though it is at the cost of her life, but that's why she puts it on. And then, you know, he can't do anything. So she dies. Um, what is your thoughts on this ring specifically? Because I always found it. You know, confusing oh, yeah, it is very confusing. And I, I, I'm sure purposefully so. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, I, I feel like people that are or entities from the Black Lodge don't have issue with, you know, possessing the ring. I mean, obviously, we get uh, one-armed Mike driving around wearing it, so that's not an issue. Uh, But it comes back, you know, in um, the return as well, and it's confusing there, too. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think it's just an object that offers protection at great cost. And well, obviously a very great cost because now uh, Laura's spirit is essentially trapped in the Black Lodge with uh, the good Dale. Yes. And uh, we see her corpse floating down the river to the Martells wrapped in plastic. And uh, shout out. I love you, Pete. Yeah. Love you so much. Yes. And we get credits over a crying and smiling Laura. And, you know, she's basically victorious, but like you said, over with the cost of her own life, it's finally, finally seeing that guardian angel. Yes. In the black box. Yes. Which it's, you know, the most low rent angel costume ever, but you know, yeah. it's uh that that's kind of twin peaks too. Um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Credits. Um, that that's twin peaks fire walk with me. Um, <laughs> and that's fun. They don't actually don't say the poem at all in the movie, right? No, I, crazy I don't think that? they do at all. You just see, just say fire walk with me, which a you few know, times. Yeah. Me. But that's about yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Um, Hey, it, it's a yeah. fucking ride. It's a, it's a fucking ride. It's a journey. You know, it's sort of this. It's not. How can I describe it? It's it's all the things I would not describe Twin Peaks, but it is Twin Peaks. Like it's it's this joyous, wondrous place that has darkness on it. This movie is just pure darkness. Mm-hmm. However, there are definitely moments of this woman taking control. Like they, the end result is this woman finally gets to take control of her abusers and her life and ha- takes it on her own hands at, like we said, at a great cost. Um, you know, I think this, and I made joke about euphoria of like this to me, this is like the before euphoria, right. uh, you know, it's sort of like dealing with your demons and overcoming them in a lot of ways. So yeah, I, I, as, as so different and drastic it is to something that I find so endearing, mm-hmm. I do think that this is still a pretty, essential element of those stories because we don't hear laura we don't hear laura majority of the twin peak series this is the one time she gets the shine and yeah it just absolutely crushes it in my opinion yeah absolutely it's cheryl lee's movie for sure and she doesn't really enter in for a good you know half an hour 45 minutes but oh she owns it from there on out and uh amazing performance and yeah like you said uh we we finally get to see all this darkness and all this horrible shit that's just alluded to throughout the, you know, fifties fueled wonder of the original TV series, I guess. And then we get the return later on and, you know, future spoiler spoilers and all, but uh, we learned that Laura is potentially so much more, uh, you know, kind of the anti Bob, I guess. Um, And yeah, there's that. Um, I, I don't know if that was one of, the bits of the return that I really enjoyed, but you get that wonderful episode in the middle that, you know, you basically have a 15 minute long nuclear explosion and, uh, all, of course, all sorts of, um, you know, art house, David Lynch trippiness in that episode, including a performance by nine inch nails. But, um, yeah, it's, um, that's some weird shit and <laughs> and absolutely warrants another rewatch. I got to get down to that. Um, Mario, any final thoughts of Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me? 
Well, if you've gotten this far, obviously we've spoken a lot of the little things, and this movie uh, is predicated on the great mystery that is the season one show. Um, however, I still think that the show is greater than its mystery. It's the soap opera. It's the uh, characters. It's the mystery. It's the it's the world building that they have. The little history and secrets that lie within the small little town. You know, it's um. It's a it's a it's a blast. So if this movie was anything uh, to revisit, definitely please I beg everyone to uh, enjoy the show, enjoy the return, and then for a little light reading, which is not, it's really not actually. Uh, check out the books. I'm, I'm sure it's fairly about, dense unless you're a dedicated yeah, fan. Yeah, learn how uh, Lewis and Clark connects to the foundation of how Twin Peaks existed and all this other uh, fun stuff with the mountains. And, uh, you know, nice. real, real good stuff. But yeah, ultimately, yeah, enjoy. Yeah. That's all I can well, say. I can't enjoy wait. I do need to check those out. Uh, yeah. If you'd like, Mario, where can people find you? Well, you can find me over there at Point in Progress, youtube.com slash Point in Progress, twitch.tv slash Point in Progress. I also do videos over at Tech Raptor. I, um, I'm not sure when this video will go, will go live, but you know what? I'll say it here. I have been promoted as the top lead over there on the video stuff. So I run, the, I run the show. Right? So uh, we'll, there'll definitely be fun things coming in the future, especially opportunities that I can bring now to other people that will, might be joining me. So very excited about that. And uh, yeah, um, there's also some other crazy stuff that we actually haven't even announced yet that I'm very excited about that's going to happen very shortly. So stay tuned to Point in Progress on Twitter as well. And I'm also at Night Mute City. There you go. Thanks, Mario. I appreciate you jumping on. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and we'll love to do something else sometime, but, uh, for now, this has been murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes. If you'd like, if you would be so kind, like share, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Uh, I'll be back soon enough with another episode, but until next time, stay spoopy, everyone. Let's rock.